This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for joining us today. My name's Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. And it's a big weekend. Easter is already here. I feel like it wow. crept right up on us. Yeah. Yes, it's uh, come along quickly. We I hope the weather begins to uh, do what it's supposed to do now and get more sunshine and more, more sunny days. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of got spoiled early on and and now we've had more of the traditional rain, but Easter it is. Do you guys have a lot of traditions in your family for Easter? You know, we used to do uh, the egg uh, hunt with the kids and the chocolates uh, with all the bunnies and stuff. And now some of our older adult friends are doing adult Easter egg hunts where they get the plastic, big plastic uh, Easter eggs and they fill them full of minis. And they hide those around the house oh. or around the yard for their friends to go hunting and then they make cocktails. I That's like a good that. Idea. Because that's yeah. true. At a certain age, you kind of feel like you have to stop doing the egg hunt. And it's still really fun. And I, I do it a lot with younger kids in our family or younger cousins. But it's uh, it, it, there's an adult version out there, too, as well. I like that. <laughs> you could that. probably make jello shots in those little eggs, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. Also. Could, yeah. <laughs> just, just coming up with great ideas right here. Better. Don't, don't let it sit in the sun too long. Yeah. <laughs> what else is going on? Heritage have a, a lot of events or things going on right now. Yeah, we just finished the Northwest Food Show down in Portland, and that's the annual show where um, people that have food products, uh, beverage products, gather around, and all the bars and restaurant operators uh, in the Northwest show up and sample products, look at new types of offerings, new food and culinary ideas, new equipment. Uh, so we were there, had a great time there, uh, hosted a cocktail uh, competition with bartenders and had uh, some interesting feedback and good cocktail ideas. And Friday, two days ago, we reopened our waterfront tasting room in downtown Gig Harbor, doubled the size. Yeah. Uh, we took the space over next to us, knocked the wall down, and completely redid it. And the response has been phenomenal, and we're just excited to be open in time for uh, spring and summer around the corner. More room in the cast club there as well, right? Absolutely. Uh, we were sold out, and uh, we had a waiting list, and so now we can get those people on the waiting list, get their casks going, and um, have them on display. Pretty darn cool. That's great. Well, what's going on in the headlines this week? Well, since it is Easter weekend, uh, I, I felt compelled to go check up on our friend uh, Del Hall from Pittsburgh, uh, uh, from Ohio, actually. Uh, this came out of a Pittsburgh news. Remember a few weeks ago, he was the guy who announced he was only going to drink beer for all of Lent? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I thought that? he was pretty crazy. There was some, certain, some skepticism going on around here. That's right. So he made headlines in February when he announced he was going to drink nothing but beer between Ash Wednesday and Easter. Well, how has he been doing? He has lost 33 pounds. Wow. Weirdest thing in his dreams, he says. He's been dreaming about food every night. For 46 days, he will have had an assortment of beer for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He's following the lead of monks from the 1600s who would fast during the season on a Bach beer diet. As he says, it was their liquid bread. It basically would sustain them through all 46 days of Lent. He has been documenting his Lent beer diet on social media and has been tracking his weight. He says the game plan is he just wanted to see if he could prove that he could do it. And as an Army veteran, his, he was first in his class in the Army. 
He ran uh, full marathons. He's done lots of big challenges in his life, but he was curious to see if he could do this one. And uh, with one day to go, it looks like he's there. Uh, he drinks plenty of water, and he checks in with a doctor on a regular basis, but nothing but beer for 46 days, and he lost 33 pounds as an inspiration to us all. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad the health <laughs> aspect of it is okay, and he's checking in with the doctor. What is your first food, do you guys think, if you are uh, ready to break your fast, what's the oh, first thing you want to eat? Tacos. Especially, oh, tacos. I was going to say, especially, um, do you eat something traditional Easter? Do you eat something <laughs> on Easter Sunday? Big burger. Hey, yeah. Traditional know. Easter ham. Ham, ham usually, yeah. typically. Yeah. Lamb um, shank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Anything, I'm sure, at this point is sounding great to him since yeah. he's dreaming about it every <laughs> night. Other than beer. What else is in the news? Uh, some tech news in the spirits business. This comes from the drinksbusiness.com. A tech company called Smart Spirits has launched a drink dispenser that allows you to create unique beverages designed to replicate the flavor of spirits such as whiskey, gin, or rum, all in the privacy of your own home. It's being rolled out in the U.K., uh, in the U.S., and in parts of the E.U. Uh, for the rest of this year. The machine will make over 30 different drinks across all major spirits categories with their taste capsules. The capsules come in a range of flavors that mimic the taste of alcoholic drinks, including Tennessee bourbon, black Sambuca, and Irish whiskey, among others. They're meant to be inserted into the device, kind of like a cured coffee machine. Uh, and then uh, before they are mixed with a neutral spirit, basically a vodka base, which is also sold by the company, or you can mix with water or mix the two. It allows consumers to control both the flavor profile and the finished uh, alcohol percentage of their beverage. It uses Bluetooth connectivity for your iPhone or Android. Uh, and uh, no word yet on the price. And so we're going to be on the lookout to see if we can see one of these things from Smart Spirits on the market here uh, any day now. This is, reminds me of the soda stream that we saw for a while, too, where yeah. everybody could make their own sodas at home and sort of mix their correct flavor. But this is fascinating. And the fact that yeah. they really are embracing also the technology aspect of it and trying to appeal to the younger crowd. It's kind of cool, yeah, so- but it seems like it's it's going to make you like a, a whiskey and Coke or a whiskey and water. Like To me, it's not that hard to do that I the machine just seems unnecessary. No, this is what they're doing, is they have uh, essentially neutral spirit of vodka in a container part of the uh, machine. And then if you want Tennessee bourbon, it has a flavor capsule, so it will insert into so the vodka the ability to have the flavor. variety. Yeah, it's okay. making something that tastes like bourbon or tastes like Sambuca with a vodka base and some syrup. So if you, if you don't uh, want to go out and buy X amount of bottles of, of alcohol and... Maybe uh, you are a young something and you want to keep it clutter clear in your house, then you can still try a lot of these tastes, but still use the same base for all of them, which is kind of fascinating. Okay. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Keep on the lookout for it. And, and, yeah, if, you, if anyone out there, if you find one, let us know. Post, post pictures. Speaking of what goes into your drink, up next on Cast Club Radio, should nutritional information be required on beer, wine, and spirits? It's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. It's pretty common for all of us to check the nutrition labels nowadays on whatever we're buying at the grocery store, right? It seems pretty commonplace. Nowadays, also, even in our area in King County, they have to post the nutritional information 
on whenever you go out to eat, on menus, um, even at, you know, coffee shops and things, which is a change that's happened in my lifetime. But Justin, alcohol, beer, wine, and spirits have always sort of been exempt, right, from posting nutritional information? Yes. So going way back, um, you know, alcohol has, um, you've, you've not been allowed to make nutritional claims about alcohol in your packaging or your advertising unless you could substantiate it in a way that the government approved. And so, you know, you, you rarely would go off and see, hey, here's diet whiskey, here's diet beer, because it implies that it's a healthier option and the government didn't want you to do that. So now uh, Forbes.com uh, is talking about the wine industry flooding TTB with opinions on wine nutrition labeling. Uh, the TTB is the uh, Federal Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau. That's the agency that oversees all breweries, wineries, distilleries. Uh, they're the ones that uh, approve the cans and the labels and uh, bottles that you see, and they approve the formulas for what goes into the bottle. Certainly we at the distillery face this. Uh, it wasn't until about three years ago where the federal government changed the rules and they said, okay, you now can put these nutritional labels on your alcohol products. And when I talk about nutritional labels, I'm talking about exactly what Lydia mentioned. Um, you get your cereal at the store, look on the side panel, it has all the ingredients, and it tells you the calories, serving size, um, fat, sugar, carbohydrates, and, and the like. If you look around the alcohol space, uh, either you, uh, Lydia, or Maura, do you remember seeing those on any beer, wine, or spirits packaging ever? Yeah, no, no. 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 Percent alcohol, and that's about it. That's right. So you'd have the percent alcohol in the front, uh, and you would have, in some cases, what it is made of. If it's red wine from Cabernet, then it would say red wine, Cabernet grapes. Uh, that was the extent of the information about what was in, in the bottle. If it is bourbon, uh, you if you know the rules, you just assume it's majority corn and some other grain. Well, nowadays, you know, this really oh, came... Sorry. Nowadays, yeah, Justin, too, if, if a product is... Sorry, I'll say that one. Nowadays, too, Justin, if a product is claiming to be gluten-free when it comes to alcohol, do they have to put those yep. ingredients on their on their label? They have to describe to the feds the process they use to ensure it's gluten-free and that it's not cross-contaminated with anything else that could introduce gluten. Perfect. Okay, so like Tito's um, vodka, for example. Yep, and it's gluten-free because it's made from corn. There's no corn and gluten. Um, if you start with a grain, it's much more difficult to get the government to agree that you have removed the gluten to make a statement that says it's gluten-free if it's a grain-type alcohol. But if it's inherently safe because it comes from a, a raw ingredient that has no gluten in it, then you're good to go. Oh, perfect. Vodka distilled from wine, no gluten in grapes, you're good to go. But the, I think the biggest example we've seen of the change that's on the horizon in the industry is this battle with Bud Light versus the other two big <laughs> beer brands, Coors and Miller, where uh, they, they announced proudly, we're putting the nutritional information on the side of our packaging. So you can see calories, carbohydrates, sugar, and all that stuff. At the same time, they smack those other two brands uh, upside the head about, you know, using corn syrup, allegedly. So that's the first major brand you are seeing with nutritional information. Uh, the issue right now with the feds is they've opened up this regulatory review, and they're asking wineries, breweries, distilleries, hey, we're considering requiring you to put more information on the labels 
What are your thoughts to that? And so the industry now is responding. And according to the story in Forbes, you're seeing uh, industry come out of the woodwork across all tiers. So the big distillers, the big brewers associations, the big winery associations, they're all pushing back uh, because if you require that information to be put on the label, the packaging is so small to begin with, their claims are that it leaves less room for them to have their marketing and branding. So has it been an overwhelming reticence to, I mean, is there just been a pushback on this? So far, we won't know for several more months. So the feds uh, extended the comment period to June 16th. I expect they'll have thousands of comments coming in from market participants around the country. It'll take them months to dissect that. They'll then summarize the comments, and they'll publish those in the Federal Register for uh, the world to see. And then they'll use that as the basis on whether or not to change the rules, modify them, update them, uh, get rid of them, and so on. So if you were to guess now, would you think that a change is coming? And if so, when would that time frame be? I think it'll still remain voluntary, and here's why. It's because uh, there's a little secret in the wine industry is that the, the wineries put a lot of things in the wine that most people aren't aware of, mm-hmm. and if they had to disclose some of those things, um, it uh, could cause uh, folks to have a different opinion about their wine, even though that's the way it's been uh, made in the industry for decades. Uh, things like egg adjuncts and others that help with clarification, um, uh, and then uh, any additional additives or processes that go through to make the wine really taste the way that Americans want it to be tasting. Do they have to make that information available to consumers who seek it out, whether it's like online? No, no not at all. Nope. Oh, wow. Interesting. Nope. Okay. Nope. nope. So uh, there's a whole lot that goes into the alcohol space that is, uh, in some ways, it's kind of uh, Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's been that way for a long time. Uh, many in the industry will go to their death to, to have it uh, stay that way. Um, you know, the basic science behind making beer, wine, and spirits has been known for centuries. But every really good manufacturer, uh, distiller, brewer, winemaker, at a large-scale level has certain tricks of the trade that they employ for consistency and uh, flavor profile and so on because if you reach a certain scale and your product's available across retailers in multiple states, if it's on the cruise ships, if it's at the hotels, if it's at the major restaurant chains, customers have an expectation of consistency when they trust that label. And uh, you can't put a product out at that scale that is not consistent. And to reach that consistency in many cases, um, you know, you got to kind of play Willy Wonka. Wow, this is fascinating. Yeah, so, okay, understandably, a lot of pushback from the industry. Are there Is there a minority, though, of people who have no problem with this or would push for that because they think that their product, they are straightforward and they think that, hey, yeah, maybe I want competition to come out and have to say everything that goes into it? Well, it's voluntary right now, so you can. Any, any uh, alcohol producer can right now put these labels on their packages. There's nothing stopping them from doing so. And in fact, I think uh, Bud Light is the best example of that. What they what they did is they looked at the market around, and you know, irrespective of Coors and Miller, I think they're seeing what we have talked about in the show several times, which is consumers want to find out more about the products that they're ingesting, whether it's alcohol or food or bread or whatever, whatever you put in your body. They want to know what where where it came from and what it's about. So so Bud Light putting uh, that nutrition label on there. You know, this whole fight about corn syrup will go away eventually, but Mm -hmm. keeping that nutrition label on there, they're not going to force their competitors to also consider putting that information out there for the public to see. Otherwise, the public might not buy 
a competitor's product because they don't know what they're being, they don't know what is going into it. Do you ever see Heritage having to follow this trend and put nutrition labels on your bottles? Having to do it, I, I don't, I don't know that they're going to be uh, able to, or that they are going to ultimately change the regulations at the federal level to require it. But this is a, a debate we have internally within our own uh, organization. You know, we look at, at spirits and we say, uh, similar to wine, you know, it's not a health food item. Uh, people who are engaged in buying beer or wine or spirits are doing so because they want to, at the end of the day, um, relax, enjoy themselves, uh, have fun with friends or family, entertain, have a meal. Um, uh, certainly they, they would want to know is there's something artificial going in, which we uh, try not to do at Heritage. We, we avoid that. Um, um, but that's not the same as saying, hey, you know, if you drink this, you're going to lose weight. You drink this, uh, it's a better alternative than another alcoholic drink. Uh, because of calories or whatever, you know, people who are looking for healthy alternatives to alcohol are going to avoid alcohol together. That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll definitely keep our eye on this because it sounds like it's not going away anytime soon, at least the debate over it, which has kind of turned fascinating. And also we've seen how much the ad campaigns have elevated this debate with Bud Light and everything they're doing. So we'll keep our eye on it. Next on Cast Club Radio, we're going to talk to Kate Levenstein of Cannonball Productions. They put on the beer and baking classic going on at T-Mobile Park May 4th. It's the sixth year of this event. We'll tell you all about it next on Cast Club Radio. Radio right now. We are joined by Kate Levenstein of Cannonball Productions. Kate, how are you doing today? Doing great. So excited to be thinking about Seattle for our sixth year. We're coming back it's with amazing. the Bacon and Beer Classic. I, I kind of buried the lead there because Bacon and Beer <laughs> Classic is what we're talking about today. The sixth year that this event has been put on in the Seattle area. And Seattle is the original home of the Bacon and Beer Classic. It's now grown quite a bit. But what was it like putting on this festival for the first time? Oh my gosh. Well, it was a, it was a treat because I got to move out to Seattle for about a month just to learn the market and really fell in love with the city and, and the food and the beverage. I mean, you guys, you do it right in Seattle. So we're based out on the East Coast in New York and in Vermont, um, which also is good food and good beverage, but it's really fun to always go back to Seattle. So after our first year at, it was then Safeco Park, we learned a ton. Um, of just, it really helped us structure what is now, you know, a, a 12 market, 12 city um, roaming festival. And we just love all of the chefs and brewers that we get to work with out there. And then obviously the stadium, um, now T-Mobile Park is such a treat um, to be at. So excited for our sixth year. That's amazing. What was the original idea yeah. behind the Bacon and Beer Classic? What made you and Cannonball Productions want to put this on? So great question. I used to live out in Chicago and I was working at a company called Living Social um, and I ran their live events division in the Midwest. And we were, I was hosting bacon and beer dinners. I, I approached nice. a breakfast spot that was really popular on the weekends and they had a bacon flight on their menu. And I said, listen, you close at four o'clock. Why don't we pop up a restaurant on the weekdays at night and have a bacon and beer dinner? We'll bring in the beer pairings. And we did just that, and we sold thousands of tickets. Wow. Um, we we didn't expect that 
it was an overwhelming response. So we didn't expect it to be that popular. But then we started running it in multiple cities in Philadelphia and New York and um, Seattle, actually. So we started running it around the country. And we realized that it was one of the only events that was successful in every market that we took it to. And so from there, you know, festivals and beer festivals were becoming more popular. And I thought there has to be food. There has to be a food element and culinary experience instead of having it, you know, having to buy a grilled cheese or having to buy something on top of your ticket. Why not have it be all inclusive? And at that time, too, I was 26 and I couldn't afford these all inclusive, you know, high production events like the New York City Wine and Food Festival mm-hmm. sounded great, but I didn't have, you know, $250 in my pocket to spend on a ticket. And so I really wanted to make this an affordable event for everyone to attend, but also have it be very all, you know, all inclusive, and, but have it be like very turnkey for them. They can just come into the stadium. There's never a line because we're inside of the stadium, so the bathrooms are. Um, always accessible, and we have hundreds of foods and food and beverage vendors on site, and then everything is just in, included in your ticket. So you never have to take your wallet out, which makes it just a really nice experience as an attendee. Yeah, we certainly appreciate that as well. I know that is one of the things. That I think music festivals even are getting more on board with that and realizing people want um, speedy, easy ways to get access to food and beverage, whether it's incorporating apps or anything. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. What, what was it about Seattle that made you want to, to choose that as the original location? Obviously, you had put some of these events on in the Seattle area before, but what was it about Seattle specifically? Yeah, honestly, the venue made it, it, it was like just a perfect home, really. Like that was what mattered to us most. Um, And then, obviously, the food scene is top-notch. It's one of the best in the country. And so we were having really incredible conversations with chefs to begin with. Um, But really, I mean, to be honest, it was the home of, you know, having Safeco Field or now T-Mobile Park as our first home. And it really comes down to such a great partnership that we have with them. And, And that goes to show, you know, we're six years still here and expanding within the stadium as well. Um, and then obviously the brewing brewing scene goes without, you know, needing much commentary. We have the best brewers, I think, in the country in the PAC Northwest. And so, you know, even our list of our breweries who are attending this year, I think all but two are from Oregon, Washington, maybe even Canada. So that's that's just incredible to have that kind of response and have, you know, over 60 breweries there. Wow. And do the the brewers ever get in on the bacon theme, too? Are there any beers that go along with that? They do. How did you know that? We have um, bacon <laughs> brined beer. So oh my a lot gosh. of times we'll have a butcher partner up with a um, brewer and they'll create a new, a, a completely new and exclusive beer just to this event. Um, so they're bacon brined beers. And then we also do bacon and beer tastings. So um, we pair different brewers up with different, again, different Hormel bacon strips through their black label bacon. They have jalapeno bacon and um, brown sugar and maple black pepper. And so we can pair different flavored bacons up with different beers, as well as cheeses and pizzas. And we've had all different kinds of food and beer pairings. So so there's, it's an endless, that's what the whole festival is, I guess. It's all bacon and beer. Um, but it's fun when they get to partner up and, and create something new together. I like that teamwork. And also, you mentioned keeping it local here and local businesses working with each other is fun to see. You mentioned how much you guys have grown since your first year. What What's some of the biggest ways that stand out to you that this this venture has grown since year one, now in year six? 
Yeah, we so we've gone to a lot more markets. We've expanded to we were in about 12 cities and and also just the types of venues like even in Seattle this year for the first year ever drum roll uh, yes. we're going to be on the outfield. The whole outfield is going to be taken over by the Bacon and Beer Classic. So it's going to be the awesome. entire concourse, the whole pen and then the outfield as well. And and then VIPs still have access to our batting cages, walking the bases, the dugouts, and the warning track. Um, but it will be fun to have even more people down there. Um, so that's, you know, one fun expansion that we're working on. And then just all the activities, you know, we've we started with like tattoo booths and, you know, fun temporary tattoos that we have on site. We still have those, but we've expanded to now we have a giant bacon seesaw that <laughs> will be debuting actually at, at this upcoming Seattle festival. Amazing. So you get to like ride a bacon seesaw and we're just trying to keep it. That's an Instagram opportunity. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We also have a, uh, a cash, you know, those money machines that the cash is blowing around in, yes. in the air and you have to capture it. Yes. So we have, um, Hormel is giving away free bacon coupons and we're nice. throwing a bunch of those in there along with some fake bacon bills. And that is super fun. You know, just to spend like 30 that. seconds, like, trying to get as many, you know, coupons as you can um, and totally a gift or boomerang moment. Um, <laughs> and so I think it's, you know, creating those experiences for people and those memories, keeping it a tradition for people year over year, the amount of people that we are so lucky to, you know, have loyal fans and they come back year over year. And, um, and it's just so much fun seeing those faces every time. I, I always want, like to work the front gates just so I get to see all of our uh, our now extension of our team and our friends and family out there. So so that's become really wonderful. Our volunteer program has expanded. We actually started our own 501c3 so that we could give back and really direct a lot of this money to go back into the communities in a really um, efficient way. Um, and, and the way that we, we really want to be dedicating our time and resources to um, so it all goes back to urban farms in the cities um, and and lowering, lowering our waste and our footprint um, and any food waste on site. So those are our missions, um, obviously keeping it local to each market. So That's it's, been, it's been fun. And we've even expanded our cups and our cup colors. And, you know, everybody gets these four ounce red solo cups when they first walk in in their glass. And now we've expanded to blue. And this year also in Seattle, we'll be debuting our black, brand new black cups. And so people just go, you know, crazy for these cups because they are collectible oh, items. Souvenirs. So, yeah. Uh, we're just continuing to expand in those ways. So for people who are now both hungry and thirsty, just even thinking about this, this event going to take place on May the 4th. And we want people to be able to get tickets. How does that work? Where should they go to get tickets? You can head over to our website, www.baconandbeerclassic.com, um, or onto Eventbrite, and they're, they're there. So you can choose from a general admission ticket, a power hour ticket, which gets you in one hour early, or a VIP ticket, which gets you into the VIP exclusive lounge, in the dugouts, on the warning track, into our you know private area where we're going to have um, different games, food, different beverages, pork belly carving stations, um, and then also batting cages, walking the bases, and just photo ops down on the field. So you can choose from an afternoon ticket, which is from 12 to 4, or an evening ticket from 6 to 10. The choice is yours. It's perfect. <laughs> but, um, and then you're hoping to you know, see more and more of our followers there. And then you don't have to wait in lines also, which is even Not better. Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. I saw that there's a, a Hormel bacon eating contest, and I think I'll be down to enter that because mm-hmm. I think I could do some damage. Maura's pretty skilled. <laughs> <I think> you <laughs> could. Yeah. Kate, thank you so much for taking time to join us. Thank the, you. This is amazing, and congrats so on much. on all the success and obviously the hard work that has gone into it. But we hope that you'll be back for several more events. I know we'll have to talk to you later on Cast Club Radio. You've got another cool event coming up this summer. If you want to mention it so that people know about it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's called Taco Takeover. It's going to be um, in August, on August 17th, um, down in the um, at the Pavilion in Seattle Center. So nice. um, check that out. It, it, it was a huge hit last year, so we're excited to come back for our second year in Seattle. Well, we might have to hit you up about that one closer to yes. the date to hear more because, yeah, also one of our favorite things. But thank you so much for joining us today. We'll make sure everybody goes and checks out the Bacon and Beer Classic. Coming up next, he's back. Our guy, Distiller Dane, has been traveling the world, and he's going to tell us all about it in his brand new top five. Plus, we have an Easter cocktail with a little kick. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. In a few minutes, we've got a great new cocktail for you. But first, joined by one of our favorite people on the planet, and we haven't heard from him in a while. Distiller Dane, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. It has been a while. How are you guys doing? (laughs) Awesome. We're we're doing great, but it's been a while, a little bit, because you've been sort of gallivanting. You've been doing some world traveling. How's that been? Uh, It's been a little tiring, but uh, the payoff (laughs) has always been great. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm sure maybe one of uh, your travels or two of your travels will make it into your top five this week. We're definitely excited to hear the new version of the top five. Will you start us off with number one? Yes. Number one, actually, with the new spring spring sunshine making its way around, I actually went on a little road trip to the ocean and hit up a couple spots. And one of the first places I went... Uh, was Astoria in Oregon, which I've never been there before, and it's a beautiful little town. But one of my favorite breweries is there, and they are called Fort George Brewing Company, and they're located in a big two-story warehouse building overlooking the old town, and it is one of my favorite places I've ever visited, and it's one of those few breweries where I really enjoy every single beer they make. Nice. I feel like that's a high compliment, because you travel and check out a lot of different places. Yeah. Uh, Dane has a good Dane has a good and active beer palate. Yes. <laughs> it's for right, work. Number two. <laughs> That's right. Number two. Yeah, number two on the list, which I was really unsure what it was, but it's called the column and it's in Astoria. Have you guys been to Astoria before? You know what I'm talking about? I have, but it's been a while. It's been a while. All right. So it's, it's a hillside town. And at the very top of the town is the tallest hill in the town. And on top of the hill is a 120-foot column that you can climb up on the inside. And then outside of it, you kind of get these breathtaking, huge 360-degree views around the whole city. And also shows kind of the, the mouth of the Columbia River. But the coolest part about it, which is the number two on my list, is airplane gliders. Because you can purchase airplane gliders and throw them off the top of the column. Oh, wow. That's Fun. amazing. How did you do? Mine actually didn't make it quite that far. I don't know if it was put together. Uh, might need to go back to aerospace school for a little bit. Uh, was that after or before the brewery? <laughs> uh, it might have been in the middle of a few. Okay. Yeah, all right. All right. Number three. Uh, number three. So after I left Doria, I went up to back to Washington State and had went to Long Beach for the first time as well. I've never really been to the ocean over there. But I kind of came across this hidden gem that a local told us to go to called the Shellburn Pub. 
and it's actually this little swanky pub and hotel, and they're serving up fine drinks um, and all this local seasonal food, which a majority of it is made in-house down to the seasonings, and it's set up in this very old-school, classic-looking bar. Nice. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Does sound cool. I'd go there, and they had delicious cocktails. I think one of them I had was uh, had gin in it, um, cranberry shrubs, um, lime, and some egg whites. They made a little sour out of it. It was really good. Wow, I love yeah. a good homemade sour like that. Yes, sounds good. All right, number four. Number four. So we just recently went to Italy with Justin and our engineer Al to visit our steel manufacturers, and number four on my list which is one of my favorite things in this area, is porchetta sandwiches. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is... Tell us about what you had. Fatty pork roast. Yep. What was that? Yep. I was going to say, tell us about what you had. <laughs> yes. The, the porchetta is the best, but you also know I'm a huge fan of truffles, so my favorite way to get it is with freshly cut porchetta, grilled vegetables, and then truffle sauce drizzled all over it. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. We were already jealous. Decadent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dane had a good time in Italy. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, all right, number five. Number five on my list is Henry, the Italian river beater or potential river otter. Oh, hmm. don't Tell know about this. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Seven years ago, I actually studied abroad in Florence, and we befriended, I think it's a river beaver, and he built this little home underneath the pillar, and we used to drop down slices of food to him. Um, and when I recently went back seven years later, he still has his whole shelter going. Um, we saw him down there. So <laughs> I walked by, said hello, dropped him a little scrap, and he's, he's still there kicking it with his family. Yeah, did you give him any uh, porchetta and truffle sauce? That did not quite make it all the way to the bridge. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Yeah, well, Dane was a good travel companion. Uh, we spent a couple very vigorous days with engineers designing some new distillation equipment. And uh, long days, but very productive. And, of course, at the end of a, of a long, hard day in Italy, you get access to some pretty amazing pasta and wine. So uh, it was yes. good all around. Dane, we are a little bit jealous. So yes. jealous. And it was so good to hear from you, friend. And hopefully it won't be so long between the next time we talk to you. No, definitely not. So we'll talk soon. Uh, sounds good. Right. Uh, thanks, Dane. Thank you. All right. Well, Dane always has a way of making my mouth water and making me a little bit jealous of all of his fun world travels and experiences. If you are craving a great cocktail at home, though, we always have a recipe for you as well. This week, Justin, what's on the menu? This week is our hot pink lemonade. Get a shaker and get some ice. Uh, Get two ounces of our Heritage Distilling Sweet Ghost Pepper Vodka. Uh, one ounce of grenadine syrup, one ounce of fresh lemon juice from a, a lemon. Put it in the shaker, shake it very vigorously, and strain it out into a glass with fresh ice. Garnish it with a lemon twist and a maraschino cherry. It's got a beautiful color and uh, sweet and tart and a slight kick of heat from the ghost pepper vodka, but it won't last too long. And uh, just makes a tremendous cocktail, uh, especially if you're wanting to have something interesting for Easter brunch. Love it. Yeah, sounds I always love a little bit of a heat note. Well, as always, you can check out this recipe at heritagedistilling.com where it will be posted and along with past recipes. If you're looking for some new ideas for parties this summer, anything. Also, you can download episodes of the podcast there at heritagedistilling.com of Cast Club Radio. 
That's right. And you can find us on Facebook at Cast Club Radio. Uh, you can send us emails to caskclubradio at heritagedistilling.com. And as always, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Perfect. Everybody have an amazing Easter weekend. Get out there, hopefully having a, a, a little hunt, maybe the adult version, either way. <laughs> and we'll see you here next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.